So Proverbs 24, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We will get one in your hand. But go ahead and turn to Proverbs 24, and we're going to start in verse 1. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. A devising of foolishness is sin, and a scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of, of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death, and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Think about those words, folks. My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displeases him. And turn away his wrath from him. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked. For there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. For their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin those two bring? These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward, build your house. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, for would you deceive with your lips? Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was 
all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there is a lot we just read in your word. Lord, we need your help to understand these things. Lord, help us realize what you are saying to each and every one of us. Even if it's the same thing, Lord, how do we apply it in our lives in different ways? Maybe in the same ways. Lord, we pray for your discernment for these things. Lord, we thank you that we can call on you for this. We thank you that we can call on you for everything, Lord. And we pray once again, and we thank you once again, Lord, that you are here with us. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Open our eyes and our ears. And Lord, may we grow in you. May we leave this place different and more closer and deeper in love with you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first things we're going to look at are the opening verses. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of troublemaking. And when you read this, you think to yourself, well, that's obvious. Done. But is it? The difficult thing is, for us, and I'd be willing to bet, maybe it's just me, but I'd be willing to bet most of us, if we've asked people, and I know most of us have, if they were evil people, and probably didn't ask if they were evil people, but in that way, if they were evil, you would hear things like, I'm basically a good person. I'm no worse than anybody else. I'm not doing things that other people aren't doing, or at least I'm not hurting people. We've heard all these things. And we tend to measure evil against worldly standards. And so automatically we start off on the wrong foot. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Desperately wicked. Have we ever felt desperate for something? It's defined as feeling, showing, or involving a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad that it is to be impossible to deal with. There's no hope of turning our wicked heart from the darkness that we desire. Psalm 64, 6 says, In speaking about the wicked heart, they devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. The word deep gives this connotation of something that obviously is very deep and wide. The Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean is very deep deepest part in the world. 
deepest part of the ocean. And huge. Many of the places in the Mariana Trench still aren't explored today. It's too hard. There's only a couple of the vehicles in the whole world that can get down there. But eventually, if you throw a rock down there, it's going to hit the bottom. But another mean for deep in the Hebrew translation is mysterious or unsearchable. And I think that's what this deep means. Meaning we can't ever find the depth and breadth of our deceitful hearts. It's unsearchable. But that's because our ideas of evil are in the flesh. In the fallen world, it's very different according to God's standard. And it's impossible for us to see the difference and to see these things without first knowing God. Various authors said the first point of wisdom is to discern that which is false, the second, to know that which is true. But how do we do that without first knowing the Lord? In this case, how do we discern what evil men are, who they are, why they're evil? And how could we know that we shouldn't even have anything to do with them or desire to be with them? Some of the things that we would hear are common sense, but others would probably catch us off guard because we can't discern the intentions of their heart, even our own heart most of the times. And how could we know what is true unless we walked with truth, in the truth, walk with the Lord, with the indwell of the Holy Spirit in his word? and praise, and worship. These things are a must if we are to truly see the evilness of mankind. To know what their heart devises violence and their lips speak of troublemaking, we mustn't desire to want to hang around them for any reason, even when aspects of the personalities we like. Right? There's a lot of people that we just are naturally, we get along with them. But if their intentions are wrong, we shouldn't even open that door a little bit. But only God can show us these things. Let's move on to another verse. And it's interesting, as we read these verses, it was really difficult to know which ones to pull out, which ones to kind of dive a little bit deeper in. Because honestly, each verse is deserving of a closer look. But again, just through prayer, the Holy Spirit kind of pricked my heart on certain things. So the next one is verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I'm going to say that again. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. How many of us faint in the day of adversity? How many of us are ready when adversity comes? And it's one of those verses that when you read it, it like burns a hole in your heart. At least it does for me. Paul said this in Romans 7, 15 through 20, for what I am doing, I do not understand. 
For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to the will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For that good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This is a very famous verse. We've all heard it many times. It's an interesting way of stating it. But the things that we really don't want to do, the things that we have turned away from, for whatever reason, sin, those are the things we desire to do. We don't want to do them, but we do them. It's our sin nature. So can we all agree that what we face on a daily basis, we're truly in a war? We're truly in battle. It's been many said, said many times from this pulpit and in Bible studies and a lot of other gatherings, we are in a war. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we are definitely in a war. And one, as we said before, it's impossible for us to win this war, if not for the Lord. And we know that in war, there's trials, there's battles, but the battles are where we're tested, where we're refined, where we grow. But the enemy is constantly trying to find those weaknesses in our armor, in our defenses. If this were a game of chess, we'd be a pawn, just moved around without any way of defending ourselves. We can't fight back on our own. But that's why Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 13, says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. Grid up the loins of your mind. We've talked about this before. When the, when the people were out in the field getting ready to prep for work, they had their tunics, and they would literally do this thing where they wrap it up to free their legs so they could go to work. They would do the same thing in the battle. And Peter made that same analogy with our minds. We have to prepare our minds to go to war, to go to work. Ephesians 6 says, tells us what this looks like, but it's really about leaning into Jesus. It's about relying on Jesus. 
about calling on Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And believe it or not, when we think about these things, this is one of these but God situations. Every situation when we face adversity. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as in common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. But we, we fail at the simplest things. There's many times in the Bible where Jesus says, you have little faith. That's for us too. It wasn't just who he was speaking to at the time, it's for us too. But in this verse, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it kind of shows us a couple of things I want to point out. <clears throat> he tells us that no temptation has overtaken us except that which is common to man. Remember, in Ecclesiastes, we hear a lot, there's nothing new under the sun. We aren't really the only people facing what we're facing. There's other people out there who've fought that battle. There's a lot of other people who feel the same way that we feel. Now, the enemy wants you to think that you're alone. He wants you to think that there's nobody else. He wants you to think that you can't go to a brother or a sister for prayer, for help. But whatever each of us is facing isn't new. Remember, in the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus tempted Je or Satan tempted Jesus with everything. And he was victorious. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan has a bag of tricks, but there's limits to those tricks. The second part here is the but God. But God is faithful. And if you could, in that moment of adversity, if all you can think of is, but God is faithful, just get on your knees and repeat that back to him, but God is faithful. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what we're capable of doing or to bear. And so you ask, why, why do we fail? Because we have a lack of faith. Simply giving a temptation, allowing the enemy <clears throat> to win the battle. But why would we do this? Why would we allow the enemy sometimes to win that battle? Because sometimes, I think, it's easier to just give up and ask for forgiveness later. We shouldn't do this. We should never take advantage of the grace of God. And I do this constantly, and I ask you to do the same. Search your heart. Where have we done this? Where do we constantly do this? Or is there anything in our life today where we can think, you know, I'm giving up the battle because it's easier to get on my knees and ask him later for forgiveness. 
Now stand strong in faith. Remember, our heart is deceitfully wicked. So if we can justify it, it's probably wrong. Trust in him, not us. And the third part of this is that with the temptation, which is another reason why we shouldn't give up, is that he actually makes a way of escape. What does this mean? Well, what the enemy means for evil, what the enemy means to pack on top of us, to make us feel like we can't take it, God will use for good. When adversity comes, we have a wonderful and beautiful opportunity to stand faithful with God. It seldom feels beautiful or wonderful. But if we at those times can bring those things before him and say, Lord, you know what's going on. Give me the strength. You can overcome it. He gives us the strength to be able to overcome anything. We can bear it because he walks through it with us. So in our lives, why do we faint? We said it's because our strength is too small. And you know when you go to lift something and you, you realize it's too heavy, right? You get kind of lightheaded. I was thinking about... Um, have you guys ever seen the strongman competitions? You know, they're like flipping thousand pound poles and moving cars with their teeth. And, you know, there's a, one of the events they do is the deadlift where they, you know, they squat down and they go to pick up something like a small house or something silly. And, you know, sometimes, you know, it's just extremely heavy. And sometimes, you know, they're standing in there and they're shaking and they're turning red and their veins are popping but once in a while, you can see it in their eyes, their, their eyes go blank, they drop the weight, and then they fall. They pass out. They couldn't take the weight, they couldn't take the pressure. They weren't strong enough. They didn't train enough, maybe. But this is, that's the physical part of it, but we are the same thing spiritually. If we don't train, how are we gonna be able to take on the adversity when it comes? We have to train. And I'm not a you know, beacon of physical fitness. I get that. But we have the word of God. We have the word of God. And so we have the ability to go before him, to read his word, to be in prayer. We have discipleship that we're part of. We have opportunities to praise him, all these different things. That's how we train. We train in his word. We train before him. We train and we fight our battles. That song that we sang, I think it was last Sunday, we fight our battles on our knees. We don't give up and surrender and fall to our knees. We surrender to ourselves and we hand all that over to the Lord and on our knees humbly, we hand it to him and he fights our battles. Let's move on. Verses 13 and 14, excuse me. It's just allergies or a frog or something. Verses 13 and 14. My son, <clears throat> eat honey because it's good. 
excuse me, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. <clears throat> now is the time that my throat gets all like this. This is an attack. Not today, Satan. <clears throat> One of the ways, ah, thank you, Lord. One of the ways you can look at this verse is associate it with something else. I mean, I, I love verses like this. My son eat honey because it's good. Okay, I mean, it is. Honey is good. Most people like it. But it, think of it as associating that honey with something else. And the honeycomb with something else. So like in the sweet-tasting honey, where honey is the knowledge of wisdom, and just like honey is good for your body, the knowledge of wisdom is good for your soul. It gives life-saving properties, just like the vitamins from the honey give your body. And so if we find it, we have a prospect, we have an end, we have a reward, a right. We have a favorable compensation, not monetarily or physically, but spiritually. And because of this, our hope or expectation and our hope is in the Lord. We wait on him with expectant hearts. This hope is not cut off. And to pull that string a little bit further, where do we get true wisdom from? The word of God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 3.17 tells us, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And Pastor Tim took us through Proverbs 3 some time ago. Proverbs 3, 13 and 18 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand in her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Who wouldn't want wisdom? And I love Colossians 3.16, tells us, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of God, his truth, his wisdom, the knowledge that he gives us for us, <clears throat> for us to share with others. Let's move on. And this is a biggie. Verses 17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. <clears throat> now, 
Now, here in this place, or watching online, how many of us have failed at this? I think we could all probably raise our hand. Don't we love watching somebody who's driving like a person in a rush? You know, back and forth and all over the place, and we pull up to a light, and he's like sitting behind us. Isn't that such a wonderful feeling? It's gratifying. Now, but we actually shouldn't do that. We shouldn't uh, gather joy from other people's issues. Now, we are to love and to pray, come alongside, make ourselves available for help. Now, people can reject help, but we need to humble ourselves and love them. Even when we're being persecuted, there's a point where the pain and the desperation is, is almost too much to bear. Or when the teasing or the mocking, <clears throat> the name calling that takes place, when your friends leave you, when their family turns their back on you, all of these things, even when they fail and they've hurt us in ways that they'll never know, we shouldn't rejoice. Vengeance isn't ours. Judgment isn't passed down by us. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's up to God in how he chooses to deal with those people. Who are we to decide what happens to somebody who has wronged us? And if you think about it, what's wrong with us for even getting some strange pleasure from watching other people's dissatisfaction? What does it say about our walk? with Christ, our spirituality, our maturity, our love for other people. Do those rules even apply to us when we're in those situations? But this is our sin nature. And we find ourselves behaving in this manner, I do, frequently. I say most of the times when I'm up here, my issues with other drivers on the road. I, the Lord is working that out in me. It's a lot of more work to do, but he's come a long way. Thank you, Lord. But truly, there's, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. And it's not just that. There's other things in our lives where we can each think, I probably shouldn't be glad that that took place. I should probably just pray that maybe they're driving somewhere and... and they're in a rush because it's an emergency. We don't know their situation. <clears throat> when, when Job was going through a very difficult season in his life, he lost everything. And it was thought in that culture that um, the bad luck or the, the circumstances that you were under is because it was some sort of disobedience to God.
And now we know the story. We know that Satan literally wanted to destroy Job. The Lord said no. But the Lord did allow Satan to do some things to Job that affected his life tremendously. And then in the midst of that, Job's friends came and spent some time with him to sympathize with him, to put an arm around him, to comfort him. And it got to the point where they said, what did you do? And I'm paraphrasing, but what did you do to deserve all of this? Because he was going through a time. He eventually called these friends miserable comforters because they were very accusing and finger pointing. But it was because they didn't understand the greater work of God that was taking place. And we may be in a similar situation trying to comfort a brother or a sister, a loved one. And on the inside, we're like, man, you know, I'm friends with you, but you're not really a nice person. You kind of deserve what you're getting right now, right? Maybe that's just me. But we shouldn't do that. You see, we don't understand what's going on in our friends, loved ones' lives. And there's many reasons why we should have a change of heart in these things. We'll call it a change of heart. Because first off, it's not how we should act. It's not who we are anymore. Remember, we're new creation, and we don't put on old wineskins. We also remember because we have to be godly examples to the people around us, especially where kids are involved. We don't want them learning our bad habits or stupid mistakes. But probably most importantly is we don't understand the greater work that God is doing in and through that situation where he is bringing those people, where he's bringing us, what his purpose is. It's not for us to try and understand. We just love those people around us, comfort them, give them the prayers and all that. But we stand back and allow God to do what he is going to do. And God is the only one who can do that. But he's also the only one who can reveal those things to us. A lot of us try to fix it. Allow God to fix it the right way. And then the last couple of verses we'll talk about before we close... 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin those two can bring? These verses really kind of cast a wide net, so we'll look at some of this. The first thing here that is said is probably the most important because without doing this, Anything else really isn't in the picture. My son, fear the Lord. So beyond anything else, do this. 
Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's the beginning of wisdom. It starts with fearing the Lord, believing Him, believing in Him. But it doesn't stop there. Remember, even the demons believe and they tremble, James 2.19. But God comes first in everything. He is the perfect authority and the one who has all authority. But it doesn't stop with God. It starts with God. And given our current political environment, locally, nationally, and internationally, I may have to take cover for some chairs being hurled at me by saying this. But it also says, fear the king, to lowercase k. It's not king as in heavenly father. It's king as in the people here on earth that are in power over the people. They are the ones that have authority of us here on earth because God appointed them to rule. The king, in this particular instance, is God's representative. So being submissive to the authority is the best way to give life of peace and security. Now, not when that authority tries to supersede what the Bible says. We know that. But in everything else, even if we're disadvantaged, we should be obedient to the lowercase king. And I know this sounds crazy, and we've seen the anger, we've seen the, the hatred, all the different sides pointing fingers at one another. But Paul addressed this in Romans 13. And I won't read everything, but in the first couple of verses he says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So it's about surrendering all who we are to God. Our obedience, walking by faith, not by political parties, not by our education levels, or the people that we know, but obedience to God. And similar as we read in a lot about children obeying their parents, it's more than that, but it's that, it's that obedience that keeps the peace, and through that we learn, we grow, and if we don't do those things, we dishonor the Lord. In fact, the rest of verse 21 and verse 22 talks about some of this. It's about the disobedience. It says change. Do not be given to change. Now, not all change is bad. We know that. But look at the world today. Look at society as a whole. The biblical definition of marriage has been changed. And we see the outcome of that. The biblical definition of man and a woman have been changed. The biblical definition of gender roles. No longer teaching or preaching the entire counsel of God in many churches today. We see the effects of that. <clears throat> All roads leading to heaven 
It's not what the Bible says. Trying to hold on to our personal truths change. Now, we don't have time to go through all of them, and there's a ton of them. But what we're talking about is changing to the Word of God, change to the grace of God, to the peace of God. But we know that God doesn't change. God isn't making the one, doing the one changing those things. It's us. We're changing them. It's man changing the definition of God to better align our sin to our own justification to commit that sin. <clears throat> and again, we reject who God really is and substitute for something different. In a lot of cases, it's really ridiculous things. But when we look at this change take place in the world, it's it's brought in with the appearance of being groundbreaking and beautiful and necessary with pure motives. It doesn't always have to look on the surface dark and ugly. But if it's any attempt to make a change to what the Word of God says, run away from it. It is dark and ugly. I don't know if I <clears throat> shared this from here or not, but I'll share it again. I was reading... An article, <clears throat> I'm almost done. Let me finish. Um, <clears throat> I was reading an article about this, this father who was heavily praised by the people who were part of it. He had allowed his, I think he was seven years old, his seven-year-old son to go to school with a dress on. And people were saying how, you know, how um, brave he was for doing so and how proud they were of him for taking a stance on this social injustice that is put before us, that people can't be who they want to be. It's ridiculous. It's wrong. But they're being praised for it to change into what God had, God's plan. And then it finishes out with a word of caution, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. It's a word of warning. This calamity will rise suddenly, out of the blue. We're never going to be prepared for it. But we have a warning from God, and in that warning is a way of escape. There's only one way of escape, and that's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close. Last week, Pastor Tim talked through some really wonderful principles and wisdom in Proverbs 23. Some of them very similar to what we talked about tonight, similar to what was talked about before, and similar to what we're going to hear in the weeks and months to come as we go through the Proverbs series. <clears throat> and many of these things you'll find are repetitive. But that's necessary for us. Because any one of us, at any time, at any moment of weakness, or just living our lives day to day, can fall victim to any sin that we talk about in Proverbs that are found throughout this book. <clears throat> the enemy lays a snare, 
we step in it. We get in our flesh and, and act or react in a way without going before the Lord first. Too many reasons to talk about here. So here's a, a thought. If you would, in your daily routine of reading the word, there's 31 Proverbs. There's 31 days in a month. Give or take the month. If you read one Proverb chapter a day, yes. If you read one, one Proverb chapter a day, by the end of the month, you have gone through the entire chapter or book of Proverbs. And when the next month comes, you do it again and again and again, and you continually get washed by his wisdom. Obviously, you would read whatever, anything else you're reading, but this would just be either something, if you couldn't read for the, what you wanted to, you're on your way to work, put in the, the Bible app, the Audible, and listen to the book of Proverbs for that particular day. And then just pray to the Lord would do something with it, would open our eyes, show us what we need, where those hidden things are, give us the strength and the courage to take on and be ready for the adversity when it comes because it is gonna come. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, for the opportunity to read it and discuss it. And we pray now, Lord, that you would show us in our own lives the areas where we need to do things differently or where we need to take greater steps of faith, where we need to stop doing things, do more things, whatever it is. Lord, we pray that you would give us this wisdom, give us this knowledge, and that we would apply it in a way that we would draw closer to you, or that we would be more and deeper in love with you, that you would be honored and glorified, that you would increase, we would decrease, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just shine mightily through us, Lord. Lord, thank you for this day once again. Thank you for this time in your word. We pray aloud now, Lord, that as we leave this place, where we would be used as your hands and feet in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.